You're listening to a podcast edition of Closer to Truth. For more information about this series, visit our website, closertotruth.com. All my life I've thought about the argument from design. The most well-known of the so-called proofs of the existence of God. The argument takes the complexity, order, and beauty of the universe and infers an intelligent creator who designed it to be this way. The argument is also known as teleological from the Greek word telos, meaning end or purpose. The claim being that the universe has been ordered or created to achieve a specific end or purpose. Arguing for God from design has been criticized severely. I'm Robert Lawrence Kuhn, and this is my journey to find out why. truths to them. Uh, but um, if you do this, he isn't necessarily going I to... I begin with Richard Swinburne, emeritus professor at Oxford and one of the world's leading philosophers of religion. Richard is lecturing in America, and we meet in Washington. Richard, the argument from design, the so-called teleological argument, is a classical argument to prove the existence of God. How do you see it in its most modern formulation? I think there are two kinds of uh, teleological argument in modern formulation. There's the argument from the existence of laws of nature and the argument from those laws being such as, together with the initial conditions of the universe, to produce human beings. The first kind is the argument from the fact that the world is governed by scientific laws. Everything behaves in a law-like way, virtually everything anyway. And this was an old argument. It was the fifth of St. Thomas Aquinas's five ways to the existence of God. Things behave in a regular way. Everything is governed by these kinds of regularities or something like it. Now, what does it mean to say that uh, things obey laws of nature? Well, uh, laws of nature aren't sort of <laughs> invisible grids forming the universe. To say that everything conforms to Newton's laws of nature is just to say that every particle of matter behaves in exactly the same way as every other particle of matter. Now, when you put it like that, how extraordinary it is. That is to say, if chance had thrown up a universe, one might expect particles to behave in all sorts of different ways uh, from each other. Why should they all behave in the same way as each other? We need an explanation of that. And that is the premise of the first form of argument from design. Now, an argument uh, to a hypothesis is a good argument insofar as the hypothesis is such that if it is true, you would expect the phenomena. If it is false, you would not expect the phenomena. Now, 
If there is no God, one certainly wouldn't expect everything to behave in exactly the same way. Uh, the second argument from design is that not merely are there simple laws of nature, but the laws of nature are such, and the initial conditions of the universe are such, as to bring about the existence of human beings. Clearly, if God is going to make a world with human beings, he's got to make the physical laws such as to allow them to exist in it, or if he starts from a world without human beings, such as to bring them about. And quite clearly, the laws of nature and however the universe started are such as to bring about the existence of human beings. But there are innumerable possible laws of nature which wouldn't do that. So we have the two arguments, the argument from the existence of laws, regularities, and the argument from initial conditions and these laws producing life. Yes. And you take them together and... They add up. They add up. That's to say it's most improbable that there would be laws at all, uh, bearing in mind what laws are. If there are laws, it's most improbable that they would be life-evolving laws. But if there's a God, there's every reason to suppose there would be laws and life-evolving laws. So they add up. Richard's two arguments from design are a paragon of clarity and a challenge to atheists. How do they respond? Bede Rundle is an Oxford philosopher who does not believe in God. When in Oxford, I determined to learn how he thinks. Bede, in anyone's search for the truth about the existence or non-existence of God, the argument you come across most frequently is the argument from design. Now, there are some very unsophisticated approaches to it, but there are some very sophisticated approaches, arguments to, to, to the best explanation, uh, really looking at um, uh, very fundamental principles of cosmology that, I have to tell you, kind of, if not convince me, at least beguile me. How does a philosopher look at the argument from design? I'm sure you're right, Robert, in saying that it's perhaps the most persuasive consideration in favour of theism and, of course, has a long history. Uh, there's a passage in Cicero where he more or less says that any right-minded person will, of course, believe that this is all the work of some designer, some god. How, how could it be otherwise? When you look at the complexity of human and animal creatures, then to say that this is just a matter of chance just seems to be outrageous. Now, say you were born before Darwin, that would be the natural attitude, wouldn't it? It's interesting, though, that even before uh, Darwin's uh, theory of evolution was formulated, a philosopher of sceptical caste, David Hume, had an argument against it, and because what he said was essentially this. Look, if you find the existence of people and animals with their complex sense organs, brains and so forth, if you find that a matter for puzzlement, how more puzzling will be that totality augmented by one, you know not what, which has furthermore the ability to make this because you've just added to the collection of problematic entities, one that surpasses everyone else in terms of the problems that he poses. And so it, it, you might say, well, 
even if I didn't have a theory of evolution to draw upon, I wouldn't be content with the uh, theistic hypothesis as giving me a final explanation. It doesn't show that God didn't design the world. It just says, well, you, you've now replaced that problem by one that looks to be even more difficult. Well, that, that, that's fascinating because normally people think the God hypothesis is a solution to the problem. It may or may not be right, but it's a solution. But what you're saying is it may be a solution, but if it is, it's a more complicated solution. That's right. And, I mean, contrast the theory of evolution. Now, there may be difficulties with that. I mean, it seems to be quite a complex business, giving a satisfactory full account of the development of any organ, and uh, presuming that's never been done. But you could say, well, look, at least we're breaking out of the circle. In the case of postulating God, we're essentially repeating the same kind of phenomenon. It's a very human-focused explanation, isn't it? A very anthropomorphic one. A being like us who can make things, but much more intelligent. Now, the theory of evolution does away with creative beings and works on principles which lead to the same sort of phenomena eventually emerging without anything supernatural being postulated. So what you're saying is, is that if you're going from the argument from design to a god, You've gained, you, 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 you can't make that step? That's right. It looked like an explanation, but it's let you down. <laughs> Bede claims, in essence, that whatever the mysteries in explaining the world, making up God makes even more mysteries. I need a scientist's view, and I turn to one of my favorites. Steven Weinberg, Nobel laureate and thinker extraordinaire. Your famous quote, that the more the universe seems comprehensible, the more it seems pointless, was made 30 years ago. Yes, a little bit more. What is your feeling about that statement now, 30 years later? Oh, I don't have any second thoughts about that uh, uh, as far as it goes. Uh, I mean, I do think that as we learn more and more about the universe, we see that there's no point uh, in the laws of nature that refers specifically to human beings. There's nothing that gives us guidance. We, are, we do not discover that we are part of a cosmic drama in which we play a central role. This took a long time to understood, and the earliest uh, ideas of the Greeks about the laws of nature, human beings were deeply involved in the laws of nature. Anaximander thought uh, that things happened because justice required uh, ice to melt when fire was applied. And, uh, you know, th there was a very human description of nature. As time has passed, we've learned not to think of nature in human terms. And the study of nature does not provide a point to our lives, except for us physicists who make our living that way. Um, I think the position of human beings uh, is uh, eternally rather tragic, that we uh, have no guidance, we have no script. We're not acting out a part in a cosmic drama. Facing this essential tragedy, we can leaven it uh, with a certain sense of humor. 
about our condition and get some, even some pleasure out of being able to face the tragedy of our position without actually whining about it. Steve takes no delight that there is no point, no purpose to the cosmos. I admire his candor. I'd hope he were wrong. So would he. Hope means nothing. I cannot ignore intelligent design. The controversial claim, religiously inspired and widely criticized, that science can demonstrate that chance alone is not a complete explanation for the world. I've heard the scientific criticisms. I should hear the supporting rationale. I meet William Dembski, the intellectual leader of intelligent design. So I really want to come to you and ask you, as one of the leaders, indeed perhaps the, the most uh, fundamental thinker about the uh, philosophy and the mathematics of intelligence design, to tell me what it's all about. Good. <laughs> uh, well, let me first give you a definition. I mean, I would define intelligent design as the study of patterns in nature that are best explained as the product of intelligence. Usually when we're talking about God, we're talking about some infinite being outside the world. So how are you going to reason from some finite patterns in nature, albeit the result of intelligence, to this infinite God. Well, I think there is no real logical route that will take you there. Yeah, I think we would say then that, that, that intelligent design cannot prove the existence of the Judeo-Christian God, so to speak, or any kind of God. But if there were such a God, that would be con consistent with a, yeah. a, an intelligent design. Yeah. So that's, that's a very important yeah. distinction, which yeah. I think most people don't know. And I think and it is important because I think many people do think that intelligent design is just, well, you're just trying to prove God. I mean, there, right. there are lots of options, lots of philosophical options historically. Aristotle, Stoic philosophy, I would say, would be consistent with intelligent design. What is intelligence? I mean, intelligence is, is teleological. It's basically about adapting means to ends. Intelligence is a causal power that can bring about purposes by arranging the means to bring those about. Well, an intelligence, though, then has to make choices. I mean, it's, if it's adapting means, it's this means, not that means. And in fact, the very etymology of the word intelligence, it's interlego, to choose between. Between. I mean, that's, that's, what, that, that's the characteristic of intelligence, whereas something that operates by brute necessity, it always does the same sort of thing. And even chance is not really intelligence, because it's not goal-directed. So it seems that there's this, this fundamental distinction. So in, intelligence is about adapting means to ends. The, the key question then, at least the starting question for intelligent design, is you know, what, what are the markers? How do we detect the effects of intelligence? And there seem to be three main things that we're looking for. Contingency, whether something happened but didn't have to happen, so it was optional. There were, there were live, different live possibilities. Uh, was it complex in the sense that it's hard to reproduce by chance? If chance and necessity were operating, would, would it have been unlikely? And then third, does it 
conform to some sort of independently given pattern. So it's not just something that we're imposing after the fact, that we're cherry picking and looking for something that we're hoping is there, but that there's this independent pattern to which it conforms. And if we have those three things that come into place, it seems that we've, as it were, triangulated on the effects of intelligence. There's still lots of questions that are then open. I mean, what's the nature of that intelligence? Uh, what, what were the purposes of that intelligence? How did the intelligence implement that design? I think the, where intelligent design starts, not where it ends, is having reliable methods of design detection, specifically this contingency, complexity, specification, as it were, triangulation on design, and then trying to get to scientific mileage and also uh, be, uh, you know, uh, point to some theological implications. I'd better get back to the scientific critique, which rejects the very foundation of intelligent design, if not always the god to whom it would point. I go see my old friend, Francisco Ayala, a world-renowned evolutionary geneticist and former Dominican priest one interesting uh, um, development re relatively recently uh, is this so-called intelligent design, however, people of faith who want to see in the complexity of organisms evidence for the existence of God. I think it's a tactical mistake, more than, than, than tactical mistake for religious believers trying to find the base of their faith on scientific knowledge, because in, organisms are not intelligent design. We are full of mistakes. I mean, our jaw <laughs> is not big enough for all the teeth we have, I which know, is know, why I they have to remove the, 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 the wisdom teeth and they have to straighten the others. An engineer that would have designed a jaw that's not big enough for the teeth would be fired. <laughs> and now they are blaming God for that, or not to speak of the birth canal of women, which is not big enough for the head of the baby, so that so many infants die, millions and millions, and, and the same of mothers. So these, these defective mistakes, the, uh, the, the dysfunctional designs, could not uh, have been designed by an omniscient and all-powerful God. It's just the results of the, the loss of nature, certainly. We just cannot tell God how God should have done things. You see, the, the issue here is always that um, you know, religious truths and scientific truths need not be in opposition. Uh, truth does not go against truth. Uh, so somebody who has faith and has religious beliefs, that's a kind of knowledge. Scientific knowledge is a different kind of knowledge. The two need not be in contradiction. Francisco respects the truths of both science and religion, but he warns that using science to prove religion undermines both. Michael Shermer is the founder and editor of Skeptic Magazine. Regarding the argument from design, I must consider his view. If you already believe these are reasonable arguments to make to support your faith, 
if you don't already believe, they're not enough to prove the existence of God such that you would absolutely have to convert and become a believer. They're just interesting approaches to addressing these ultimate kinds of questions that I think our human brain is big enough to contemplate and ask, but not big enough to answer. So you would have science or logic completely get out of the theology business. That's right. I don't think science should be in the business of trying to adjudicate the God question. I don't think it can. What about the burden of proof? It's not enough to just say, because you guys can't explain it, you evolutionists. That's not evidence in favor of your position. The burden of proof is on you to provide uh, evidence and try to convince us, the skeptics. So science is naturally skeptical. That's the default position. Now, talk me out of my skepticism. I think it's perfectly legitimate to have a consilience between religion and science, as long as not too much is made of, I guess, the built-in purpose to the whole thing uh, and make that part of science. That's not part of Are science. Are you trying to be a nice guy or yes. do you really believe that? Oh, no, I, okay, two things. One, I, I, I think it's better to be conciliatory about it than bellicose and truculent. But ultimately, why should the laws of nature even be there? Where did the stuff come from in the first place? Why, what was there before time? Those are the kinds of questions that I don't think science can answer in any case. So at that point, we're, we're out of the realm of science and we're in something else, philosophy, metaphysics, whatever, theology. And at that point, it's okay for us to have personal differences and just make a leap of faith one way or the other. Say, I don't know. I think God did it. I think a scientific explanation may ultimately be coming. But at this point, we don't know, and that's okay. Man, you really like to push on the ontological question. Guilty as charged, Michael. I want to know what's real, not what makes me feel good. Freeman Dyson is an original and provocative thinker. A renowned physicist at the Institute for Advanced Study in Princeton, Freeman tackles humanity's profound and fundamental issues. Yeah, well, I think the argument from design makes sense, and, and I'm, I, only one shouldn't regard it as a scientific argument. It's, uh, science has nothing to say about ultimate aims and purpose, but if you go beyond science and talk about the universe from a philosophical point of view, from, from a human point of view, then it, the, the argument is quite valid that, after all, we do see evidence of some sort of purpose in the universe. The mere fact that we exist is sort of evidence in some sense that, that there are things going on which appear to have a purpose in, in the old-fashioned sense. <laughs> so how do you harmonize these two points of view, the sort of the scientific point of view which says everything has to be determined by the tools of science, which are just experiments and logical arguments, and the, the human point of view, which says we know a lot that goes beyond that. And I find this is not such a big problem for me. I, I, that I, I accept the limitations of science. Science is one set of tools, but doesn't constitute the whole of our knowledge. I, I think it's quite likely that the, the, the universe has some sort of a mental apparatus, which you can call God if you like, and, and that, that, that it has a mental aspect as well as a physical aspect. And within the mental 
apparatus or whatever it may be, there can be a purpose in which, in, in, so in some sense the universe uh, ha, ha, has a mind of its own and has some sort of share in, 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 in formulating the rules. The rules being, of course, this what we observe in science. It's not that we're forbidden to think outside science, but we shouldn't claim it to be scientific in, in, in information, that's all. And no, I'm thoroughly happy to be in, in, in a world of mystery. I mean, the science and religion are both, in fact, mysterious. And that's why I think that they don't conflict with each other, that, that we have mysteries which are religious and have also mysteries which are scientific. And, and I'm happy to have both. Surely there is complexity, order, and beauty in the universe. It certainly appears to have been designed no one disputes this. But what's the reason for this appearance of design? I see three possibilities. Necessity. The universe had to be this way. No other was ever possible. Chance. Given vast, perhaps infinite expanses of space and time, even multiple universes, life would have to exist somewhere and there imagine itself special. Design, an intentionality, a mental apparatus, a consciousness beyond the physical, which some call God. Though the argument from design is ancient, examining it afresh brings us closer to truth. Closer to Truth, the definitive series on cosmos, consciousness, and God airs on PBS and other non-commercial stations. For more episodes, complete interviews, and contributor bios, visit closertotruth.com. <laughs>